pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. What magic wand do you have? A really strong job report to start the year, finishing really after a very strong year last year. 2.6 million jobs created last year, and, and here the first month of this year, 304,000 net new jobs. That's more than economists had expected. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey, welcome to the program. Stacy on the right. I'm here. <laughs> I made it again. I say that because... Aside from having my own personal summer, shout out to the uh, friend online who (laughs) coined that phrase for me, I am absolutely swimming in activities for our graduating senior. Yes, I'm that mom again, two years in a row with a senior in high school graduating, and I'm just a little in shock. I'm I'm starting to feel shell-shocked at not just the level of activities and the things that we have to get done, but the realization that this boy, well... He's not a boy anymore. He's he's I've been calling him a young man for some time now. Still a young man, I think, but he is now just here shortly going to be out of high school, no longer a you know, a a a student. He's going to be more like well, he's going to be a college student and and a young adult and and so it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Welcome to the program today. We have so much to cover. We're going to have Ethan Blevins. He's an attorney for the Pacific Legal Foundation. He actually is kind of fantastic. He's going to come on and talk about Gillibrand and her plans to boost her campaign through the use of democracy dollars. Now, there's some interesting history behind this. And as always here on the program, we like to inform you, we like to make sure that you know exactly what's going on. Um, and so we have that. We also have, um, you know, the president has blocked the unredacted Mueller report from being released as Attorney General Barr said he would if they found him in contempt of Congress. Their attempt to produce this unredacted report, which is something that if they really wanted it done, they control the House. They could just pass that in the House and then send it over to the Senate and get, you know, there's plenty of people over there who want everything to come out and just make it the law. If they made it the law, though, it wouldn't be Attorney General Barr's fault. And they need to demonize him because they need to connect him to Donald Trump and continue to rail and cry about things that they can't have instead of simply using the power that they have to get what they want, which would then prove that really there's no there there. Um, So this is a way of kind of creating a pseudo boogeyman that they can shoot down. Um, So we'll be talking about we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about the democracy dollars. We'll be talking about Pelosi saying we cannot accept a second term for Donald Trump. This is interesting because the Democrats are now starting to really just unmask themselves and come out with it. It's raw, naked power seeking that we're observing here. Nothing to do with wrongdoing by the president. They just hate him and they don't want him to be president for the second term. Not like we don't understand that. We didn't. I never hated Barack Obama, but I definitely didn't want him to have a second term. And my goal was for him not to, but he did. Um, And so we lived through that. It was something that happened. It happened. And 
And, you know, hey, here we are. That's going to have to be the attitude that the Democrats take. I don't think we're going to see that. But right now, they're losing their minds. Um, so right now, I want to get to Psalm 90. That's our encouragement for today. So a friend of mine actually shared this with me. And she sent it over by note with a salad and some dessert. I mean, get you some friends who will drop a salad off at your house and include Bible verses in there. I mean, I was, I was just flabbergasted. I was like, this is awesome. In a cooler, no less. Um, so this Psalm 90, um, it, is, it is so encouraging. And I'm sorry, I said Psalm 90. What I'm looking for is Psalm 91, not Psalm 90. Um, and so Psalm 91, when we're, when we're talking about encouragement, and you know, we do that here on the show a lot. And the reason we do encouragement is because I know for myself, easily discouraged over here, right? Um, I'm pretty upbeat, I'm pretty positive, but I can easily, you know, let circumstances kind of really take the wind out of my sails. And so I find that when I focus my eyes on him, and I put my efforts into reading his word, it changes things for me, it changes the atmosphere. And just at this end portion of the year, and I'm kind of veering off here, because I want to read Psalm 91. And we will just one second here. But this time of year, at the end of the school year, usually it's just a lot of hustle and bustle. But because of some women's groups that I've been participating in this school year, it has been much more of a time of rejoicing and sharing answered prayer with other women, moms who, you know, we're, we get together and do certain activities for the kids for school or at the school. And I tell you what, I've, I've been so uplifted by these godly women who are praying into action. They're not, you know, complaining into action or just doing empty action. It's literal prayer that becomes kind of the driver for the action that we've been taking. And it has so encouraged me. And so when I saw this psalm inside of my little cooler with my salad in it today, and I was, I was getting it out, I'm like, ooh, I get to have lunch. And then I looked and I'm like, oh my goodness, Psalm 91, this is one of my favorites. So here it is. And I want you to feel, it, this, this is what God says to us. And we're going to unpack it a little bit, but it's perfect for today. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings will you trust. His truth will be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear you up with their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the adder is a snake, and the young lion and the dragon shall you trample under your feet, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. That's what God says to us. I will set him on high because he has known my name. 
He shall call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So two things you have to do. First, you have to say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. So you, you confess this with your mouth. And then you dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Dwelling there is a place of obedience and a place of prayer. And then you do those two things and all of the rest of Psalm 91 is your inheritance. It doesn't get much more encouraging than that. And I always say that at the end of every encouragement, I'm like, oh, it just doesn't get better than that. And then the next day I have one and it's just as awesome, if not even better. So that's what we have to look forward to. Um, So Psalm 91, I'm going to be meditating on this for the next few days because it's awesome when I stumble on something or I'm in my, in my prayer closet trying to, you know, searching the scriptures. That's one thing, but it's a totally another thing when God sends someone to your doorstep with lunch and a salad. She didn't even come in. She rang the doorbell, didn't know if I was home or not, with, left the cooler there, texted me and said, the cooler's on your doorstep, not sure if you're home. I was at home. So I was like, I wonder why she didn't ring the doorbell so I could have said hi. I brought it in and inside was a scripture. So I'm so excited by this. It's just a blessing from God. And that's the encouragement for today. So now pivoting over to the political sphere, we have this CNN contributor who says when a woman gets pregnant, she's not pregnant with a human being. (laughs) Yes, I'm giggling because what kind of nonsense and tomfoolery exactly is she working with here? Let's listen to her number three. A woman gets pregnant that is not a human being inside of her. It's part of her body. And this is about a woman having full agency and control of her body and making decisions about her body and what is part of her body with medical professionals. Those are the facts. And that is the law of the land. So the baby is property chattel. That is the Republican commentator who's on there battling with uh, Chris Cuomo and this one who shall remain nameless. Uh, And they're just, they're having it out over the, the heartbeat bill from Georgia. And I, I'm just, just hang with me here for a minute. Why do we have to go into lying that we've already seen the face of the new uh, abortion minded Democrats? They don't have to keep saying unscientific things to support their position when they've already told us they don't care if it's a baby. It could be a pot of gold in there. They're, they're, they're here for killing it, destroying it, utterly obliterating it. They don't care if it's painful and they don't care if the woman has repercussions for decades afterwards. They're just all about getting those abortions done. Like Ilhan Omar loves to say all about the Benjamins. They're all about the abortions. And so there is no scientific support for her statement that when women get pregnant, the thing that they're pregnant with is another part of their body. Last I checked, when they do ultrasounds, they don't see a human heart growing in the abdomen, in the womb. They don't see elbows or toes or, you know, hair follicles growing in there. They see another human being. Now that human being is dependent upon the mother for life support so that it can grow up to a certain point until its birth. But it's not her. And we have this running joke at our house that I actually started. And I get mocked roundly for it. But I'm, I'm sticking with it. And that is I tell the kids whenever they're like, well, we just want to go so-and-so. And I'm like, well, I can't. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. And they're like, why? I'm like, well, you're like a part of me that's broken loose. And you're just running around doing whatever you want. But in my mind, we're still the same. 
<laughs> now, that is utter nonsense, I know. But it's my way to describe to the kids how deeply interested I am in their welfare. <laughs> it feels like they're still a part of me. They're just running around loose and I'm concerned. So I use that metaphor, unscientific as it may be, to describe why I, you know, I, don't, I don't know if that's the best choice for you to do or, you know, let's talk about why you want to do that, that type of thing. But even in the most, you know, emotionally wrought circumstances where I'm trying to use that to describe why I don't want the kids to do something, it, it has never been and nor will it ever be a fact that human children are simply another organ of their mother, no, it's a whole nother human being with a soul and a spirit and a purpose created in the image of God that matters. And so, you know, inconvenient, absolutely. Uh, takes up 10 months of your life, yep. Uh, you know, something that you can snuff out if you want to, according to the Supreme Court, yes, but according to God's law, absolutely not. Unjustifiable, not something you're gonna wanna have to explain at the judgment seat. So if we're talking about this thing and we're being honest, her statements, not only do they know they don't make sense, but they also speak to the level of depravity that is currently residing on the left when it comes to abortion, which is they'll make any argument they can. They'll say anything they can. They'll do anything they can. They'll dox anybody they can. They'll yell at any grandma they can. They'll scream down any, anyone they can. They'll yell, hail Satan. They'll sing it in a sing-songy voice. They'll shout their abortions. They'll do whatever they can do to make it palpable and try to force others, coerce others, people of conscience, people of faith, into giving in and acquiescing to their desire to bow down to the God of Molech. And in every instance, it is incumbent upon us to stand firmly and say, no, it's not another organ of the mother. It is a human being all day, every day, from before we even knew what days were into the future. All right, when we get back, we'll have Ethan Blevins. He's an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, healthcare, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your healthcare. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 855-PSALM-23. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. During one of our Thanksgiving holidays, I found myself lying on the floor playing with my grandchildren. What a time. As I looked at them laughing and smiling, I had a flashback. I remembered when our children were babies and how I sat on the floor playing with them. I often ask Karen, sweetheart, where has the time gone? It just seems like yesterday. Ah, life is too quick and too short, isn't it? The tragedy is there are lives all around us being cut off, in our estimation, too soon. Uncertainty and the temporary nature of life stares us in the face, and yes, life should be a joyful journey, but with a good dose of sobriety. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5 helps us with this perspective. Listen to what the psalmist says. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. It's so important for us to live with the understanding that it is going to be over. When the psalmist says, Lord, make me to know my end, he's praying, I want to be conscious of the fact that this life is going to be over one day, so I need to live with a sense of purpose. This life is not permanent. I'm not going to be here forever. Compared to eternity, he says, my lifetime is just a hand breath, not even the blink of the eye. Here's what I want you to remember today. If we live by eternal values, we redeem time for his eternal purposes. If not, then all we leave behind are fading memories. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there, welcome back to the program. I'm Stacy Washington, and this is the Stacy on the Right Show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You can find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com, AFR.net, and UrbanFamilyTalk.com, where you can register for our Marriage and Family Life Conference which is happening in June. You can still register. You can find out the agenda and all of the speakers who are going to be joining us by going to urbanfamilytalk.com. Check it out. All right, right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Ethan Blevins. He's an attorney for the Pacific Legal Foundation. Ethan, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, it's good to talk to you. I I saw this and I was like, that's nonsense. And I just kept on scrolling. Like I literally just kept scrolling past the story. But you have some interesting details about Gillibrand wanting to implement something called democracy dollars. Now, first off, before we even get into this conversation, what is it with Democrats calling our country a democracy when we're a representative republic? Right. Yeah, our our democracy is in danger, uh, maybe because we've never actually had a democracy. I don't know. But yes, uh, (laughs) you know, I think part of the reason to to take the question maybe a little more seriously is that, um, you know, uh, fans of government power um, want to downplay limits on 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 democratic power um, that exists in our constitution and state constitutions. So I think there is some purpose to that rhetoric that's a little bit more sinister than you might otherwise think. And you know what, Ethan? I'm just to piggyback on that because I agree with you 100. percent I think it also has to do with the two party system that we have, where Democrats like to call our country a democracy because it's in their name. And then representative Republic kind of makes it sound like we should be Republicans. 
you know, because we're, we live in a representative republic. So the natural, oh. you know what I mean? Like it would naturally follow that you would be a Republican if you lived in a re- representative republic. Um, and sure, they don't like that. Branding thing. <laughs> yeah, it, I, th- I think it's even that as well. I mean, obviously, they they would prefer a democracy because that would give them mob rule and they would they'd never relinquish power ever again. Um I think it's both. It's it's so odd. So what what is Gillibrand actually proposing here with her so-called democracy dollars? Yeah, so this is a camp- campaign finance program. Um not not so different from things we've seen in the past where she's proposing that we provide public funding to candidates to help them run for office in the theory that it's going to reduce the influence of um, really wealthy corporations or individuals. Um, the, the big difference between what has been done in the past and this proposal is that essentially everybody in the country would receive um, a voucher that they could, they could decide where that money goes. So it's kind of private individuals deciding where taxpayer dollars go, specifically to which political candidates those tax dollars go to. So this is kind of like, hey, we don't like that Janus ruling with unions and unions are dying on the vine. So why don't we just turn every American into kind of like a union member by doling out money to them that they have to give to political candidates like that? <laughs> that's a great comparison. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the Janus case is really directly relevant here because and, and, and Janus said you, the Supreme Court in Janus said you can't compel somebody to sponsor someone else's political speech. And that's exactly what these democracy dollars do. So you're right. I mean, it's like everybody in the country being forced to pay you dues or something like that. Well, because they don't say where the money comes from. That That's the part of that to me. Um, and it, it may be just because of doing this for a living and talking to experts like you. But I just hear Thomas Sowell's voice ringing in my ears from one of his interviews with the Hoover Institution, where he said, your first question when anyone proposes a new policy, you know, of any kind is how much will it cost and who's going to pay for it? Well, obviously, giving everyone six hundred dollars, I think it's six hundred dollars that she's proposing means that you have to increase the taxes of some people by more than six hundred dollars because everyone doesn't have six hundred dollars to redistribute to everyone else. Yes, and, and she's kind of leapt on on the classic Democratic hobby horse here, which is is removing corporate tax loopholes as the way to fund this. I mean, I think uh, you know everybody would just rather have six hundred dollars to decide on their own how to spend it, and I, and I have a feeling that none of them would spend it on a political campaign. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is as far as I can tell a proposal that the money will come from the general revenue but that uh, supposedly corporate tax loopholes are going to pay for it. I think there's a lot of better ways to spend tax revenue. Um, but uh, but Jill Brand thinks that uh, politicians need taxpayer money. Okay, but I thought they said they wanted to get... Oh, okay, wait. Because when, when the Democrats say they want to get dark money out of politics, they mean money that they can't pinpoint to a person and then freeze that person... And, you know, paint them as a target for their ire and their wrath. But when the money comes from the people, literally from the people, because this would literally be a tax increase that would then send money into the hands of Democratic voters, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting irony because so for so many years, Democrats have um, railed against 
Citizens United and other campaign finance cases with the claim that money is not speech. And now they're, they seem to be turning that on its head and becoming obsessed with money as, as, as a form of speech. Um, the, I mean, the fact of the matter is that you, we're not going to take, this program's not going to take money out of politics. I, she, she's proposing that she, that the, uh, anybody who opts into her democracy dollar program will have to be subject to a $200, uh, contribution limit per contribu- contributor. Um, whereas if you chose not to participate in the program, you'd have the um, $2,800 contribution limit for the primary and the $2,800 contribution limit for the general election, which is so much higher that it, it, it seems uh, very unlikely that any candidate would agree to essentially um, manacle themselves and uh, and face that high contribution limit. So it's almost certainly not going to actually help them do what she says it's going to do. Hmm. Okay, so let's go through your fun facts. I love the fact that you sent these over. I was looking at them and kind of laughing, kind of. I mean, I would laugh at these things more often if they weren't so deadly serious actual proposals from Democrats. Um, Your first fun fact is that the estimated cost of $600 per person or more for these so-called democracy dollars would be $138 billion. Right, yeah, so, um, you know, for forget about, apparently for forgetting about the national uh, debt and all these other many problems that we have, uh, and and are going to devote an insane amount of money um, for the indefinite future to a cause that I don't think is actually going to do anything. <laughs> Typical <laughs> government program, I suppose. Well, yeah, okay. So uh, in that aspect, this is very very normal, but it is abnormal for anyone, Democrat, Republican, any person who has a brain that works to propose that the government give people money to do something that is a constitutional right, such as voting. Right. Well, you know, I, I mean, I think this is, this is part of the um, feeling that, um, the, that, you know, it's long been proposed that um, campaigns should be funded entirely by public funds. There shouldn't be any private money at all in it. And that has, and the Supreme Court's rightly said, well, you can't do that. You can have a public funding scheme where people have to have a choice whether or not to join it. And so, um, but I think this is, this is the attempt to continue to try to get around that limitation. Okay. So let's look at fun fact number two, taxpayers pay for candidates they don't support, which that circles us right back around to what we were talking about with the union stuff. Right, and it's 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 kind of worse than the other campaign uh, public funding programs out there because in this situation, other private people are deciding what where that money goes. It's not like a it's not like a viewpoint neutral and program where everybody gets allotted the same amount of public funds. Um, so it is it essentially means that uh the more popular the majoritarian candidates are the ones who can say they're gonna get the most money. Going back to what we're talking about, uh that we're not a we're not a democracy. <laughs> There's a reason we put limits on majoritarian power. But this just increases that power. So the more the the more popular the candidate, the more public funding they're gonna receive. Okay, so then the Supreme Court, your fun fact number three is that the Supreme Court found forced donation is unconstitutional. And that was in Janus versus AFSCME, um, which is the American Federation of something such something or other employees. Some union, some huge union. 
So Janice V. AFSCME is where this whole idea has been completely obliterated. Yet you have Gillibrand, who is supposed to be this super smart senator, proposing this anyway. Yes. Um, well, you know, they, of course, uh, we know that um, the, the left hates the Janice decision and, and will continue to pretend it doesn't exist. So it's not a huge surprise that uh, she isn't thinking about that. Um, there's been, and, and there's been a lot of talk of trying to limit Janice to just the union context, which it isn't. I mean, the principle is that you can't force somebody to pay for somebody else's speech. That's a pretty broad principle. Um, it applies, it has already been applied in a wide variety of contexts to things like co- commercial advertisements, uh, bar associations. Uh, so this isn't limited to uni- the union context. And it applies, I think, it should apply with even greater urgency to um, something like a campaign for federal office, which is some of the most important First Amendment issues we have. So the last fun fact is that this has already been tried in Seattle, Washington. So Seattle is a liberal bastion, like they control everything up there. And whenever things go wrong, they try to make it seem as if it's Donald Trump's fault when he I, I don't even think Donald Trump spends a lot of time in Seattle when he was a civilian. And, you know, before he was ever president, he he never was like a big uh, northwestern person where he was in Seattle all the time. Um, but beyond that, the problems that they have in Seattle, which are many, have nothing to do with Republicans or, you know, conservative thinking or anything like that. And this particular idea failing in a liberal bastion means it can't work anywhere because if liberals are willing to do something and they try it and it still doesn't work, then you know it won't work amongst us, you know, Bible and gun-toting rubes out here in the middle of the country. Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, the, the, so the Seattle program um, had sort of if its first test run in 2017, the 2017 election. It was passed just before that time. And um, everybody in Seattle got four $25 vouchers. So it's basically just a smaller version of Joe Grant's proposal. And um, less than 4% of people ever returned those vouchers. Um, so it really, nobody cared about it. Um, and the people who did return them tended to be wealthy and white and older. In other words, the, you know, the kinds of people that, whose influence the um, city are, is trying to um, reduce. So um, it didn't do anything actually to accomplish what they wanted to. In the meantime, the Seattle election went totally as expected. It didn't change anything about the election outcomes. Hmm. So if, um, if, so a smaller amount, these little checks, little, little amounts, and it didn't work. And so we're, what we're looking at is you, you started out with a statement that I think is probably the crux of this, which is if Americans had a choice between, hey, I'm going to give you $600 to spend on an election campaign or, you know, don't take it. A lot of Americans would just say, I don't feel like spending any money on an election campaign. They wouldn't take it. And then other right. Americans would probably say, yeah, I know it's supposed to be for an election campaign, but I'm actually going to buy a sofa with it or, you know, <laughs> I'm going to make a car payment with it or whatever. And so it would end up that then people would be getting in trouble for misappropriating the money or they just wouldn't take it at all. And very few people, like rabidly political people like myself, maybe yourself, we would actually take it and spend it on campaigns, but it would really only benefit that hardcore, huge contingent of the left, you know, hardcore sliver of the right. Everybody else in the middle would be like, I don't even know what they're doing here. Just raise my taxes for nothing. Right. I mean, it's kind of a classic preaching to the choir thing because they 
only people are going to use that money are people who are already engaged and already influenced in politics. Um, and, you know, the, the uh, program was also very expensive to administer. So more the administrative costs exceeded the actual money that went to campaigns. Uh, so uh, it, it was an expensive failure that violates the Constitution, which I mean, I think that's actually a common story for, for government programs. But um, in this case, it's kind of bizarre to see it touted as a success. So what do you propose? I mean, obviously, it's unconstitutional, so I'm not sure why she's hanging on to it. But what what is the antidote to this? Obviously, us having this conversation, informing everybody of what, what is really the truth here. But how how to battle this in the kind of mainstream arena where she's this is being given serious consideration by talking heads on the left? You know, I think um, the the main thing that 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 we need to emphasize, I think, is that um, communication people uh, of small means have more power to communicate than any other time in history. Um, we have. So it's kind of this, we shouldn't have this myopic focus on money. Um, we should instead look at um, how, how, are able, how are people able to get their voices heard. And uh, there are so many ways to do that now that um, in, a, in a relatively cheap way that just haven't existed in the past. So from social media to all kinds of other um, examples. I mean, for example, David Hogg has you know a million Twitter followers. He's, he, he has a huge voice. But it's not because he's wealthy. It's because he's made an impression that uh, that has lasted. So I think we live in a different kind of era now, uh, in, in, a, in a good way, that there's a lot more power to get your voice heard. And that, I think, is the important message to focus on, not that um, wealthy donors are corrupting our, uh, our, our um, republic. Um, I was about to say democracy. <laughs> um, Good catch. And, and usually, you know, that corruption charge is leveled at policies that, that people just don't like. That's mm. what it really is. More, more often than an actual finding that there was, uh, you know, some kind of under the under the table bribe or something like that. Not to say mm. that that doesn't occur, but the the response is not to uh, punish everybody else uh, and and restrict everyone's speech rights just because there might be a few a corrupt few. Mm. Well perfectly summed up Ethan Blevins attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation thank you for joining us today talk to you again soon have a great week thanks all right we'll be back with more right after this Equipped with Chris Brooks. This program is an apologetic endeavor. What I want to do is really train you in the art and science of defending and commending your Christian faith to people who maybe they've been hurt by the church, maybe they don't believe like you believe, and you're saying to yourself, how do I have an effective conversation with them? Well, we're looking for an evangelistic edge, if you will, that will allow us to more effectively, more contextualize the gospel so that we can reach men and women for Christ. Quite often, the on-ramp, if you will, is looking at culture and taking advantage of the conversations that folks are already having and saying, how can I leverage this to get people to talk about Jesus? This show becomes kind of massively significant to you if your desire is to reach people for Christ. Get equipped with Chris Brooks. Join me Monday through Friday at noon Central Time on Urban Family Talk.
Stand by. The BSAC Radio Show spotlights Christian rap artists. But never try to put me on the pedestal. The Lord is working on me. I'm getting better still. Hear in-depth interviews and news about upcoming releases. What's your motivation? All we need is Jesus. He's our motivation. Motivation. BSAC is the biblically sound artist coalition. Don't miss the BSAC Radio Show. Saturdays from 10 a.m. to noon central on Urban Family Talk. I'm Will Addison, director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In 1 Chronicles 12.32 it says, The sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time, to know what Israel ought to do. In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for His service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Fox on Justice. Walter Huang was an engineer at Apple, a techie. And so it's not surprising that the 38-year-old Huang would volunteer to beta test a Tesla car equipped with its new autopilot driver assist system. But one March morning in 2018, Huang's Tesla slammed into a barrier on Highway 101 in Mountain View, California, and Huang was killed. His family is filing a wrongful death suit against Tesla. What Tesla did was release an autopilot uh, system claiming it does the driving for you, but it really didn't. The family's lawyers say Tesla should not be testing its autopilot software on live drivers in real-world road conditions. The everyday consumer isn't supposed to figure out what Tesla is supposed to figure out by their engineering testing. Tesla has admitted that its autopilot was engaged at the time of the crash, but blamed Huang, saying he knew the system wasn't perfect and must not have been paying attention when the crash occurred. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. But anyway, to, uh, we have to make sure, this will sound political, but we have to make sure that the Constitution wins the next presidential election. We can't be worrying about well, how long is this going to take or that. It'll take as long as it does. And we will press the case so that in the court of public opinion, people will know what is, um, is right. But we cannot accept a, a second term for Donald Trump if we are going to be faithful to our democracy and to the Constitution of the United States. And that is just a fact. So we have to operate on many fronts. We have to operate in the Congress, in the courts, and in the court of public opinion. And we must win the next election. Wow. So that was Nancy Pelosi, and she wants to make the president a one-term president. What else do we expect her to say, right? What, what do we expect her to say? She's not going to say, oh, I hope he has two terms. She's not going to say, hopefully, um, you know, there's more Trump. She's going to say that. I, I don't. Part of the reason why I played the clip is because I think it's important to just highlight that that's what she's saying. And when Republicans said the same thing about Barack Obama, it was, oh, they're racist. They just hate America. They hate black people. No, they just didn't like the policies of the president at the time. Um so one of the things that is super important for us to do is to to 
just acknowledge that this is the way the two-party system works. Republicans don't want Democrats to have two terms. Democrats don't want Republicans to have two terms. Once you get past that, we can stop all this crazy, nonsensical rhetoric and just admit that it's a political fight to the death and that best man wants to win. And the Republicans are fighting it like a gentleman's game with a little, you know, slap across the face of the leather gloves while the Democrats are down slinging mud. You know, they're launching grenade grenade launched missiles and grenades and whatever they're they're doing warfare you know hand-to-hand combat they're in the civilian zones bombing stuff they they want to win even if it's by hook or by crook that's what we have to be aware of and that's the arena we're operating in it doesn't mean to get dishonest on our part but that that is the game that's what's happening here uh, so call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So here's Representative Jim Jordan, and he has an interesting take on the Democrats' behavior towards A.G. Barr. I thought this was pretty fascinating because I've been saying this myself. Uh, so here he is. It's number four. These guys are bound and determined to go after the attorney general, to go after President Trump and not 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 going to focus on what we need to do to help the country. So I, I think they're nervous about Bill Barr, because remember what he said three weeks ago in front of the Senate Finance Committee. He made four important points. First of all, he said spying did, in fact, take uh, take place. Second, he said there is a basis for his concern that the spying wasn't properly predicated. Third, he said there was a failure of leadership at the upper echelon of the FBI. We know that's for, for sure. Comey, McCabe, Baker, Strzok, Page. We know there was a failure of leadership there. And then fourth, he used two terms that I've never really heard before. And I, my guess is most Americans haven't. He used the term unauthorized surveillance and he used the term political surveillance. So the Democrats are scared. And, if, and frankly, I think when we're talking about obstruction of justice, the real obstruction of justice is what Democrats are trying to do to the attorney general. They're trying to stop him by all these things, this contempt and not having him come testify. They're trying to stop him from getting the answers that we just talked about. Yeah. Uh, so they don't want the answers because if they did, they could just change the law and then it wouldn't be illegal for the unredacted report to be released. The reason they're not doing that is because one day they'll be in the presidency again and they know they have no, they have no guarantee that they won't have someone there who has done something that angers whoever's in power at the time. And if the investigation turns the way it did with the Clintons, that that's the reason why the law exists, that the unredacted report of a special prosecutor cannot be released. Um, and one of the things that I think is, is obvious is they didn't like the way it turned out for Bill Clinton. They didn't like the way it turned out for those witnesses who were interviewed during that process. And so consequently, they changed the law. So no more. You, I don't care what, who they're investigating. If it's the president of the United States and it's a special uh, prosecutor, special, you know, they, like, like Mueller, um, the unredacted report cannot be released. And the only way to change that is to have Congress legislate it. So this is an exercise in futility. The only reason it is happening is because they want it to happen. They want the unredacted Mueller report not to be available. If they wanted it to be completely unredacted, so whole the whole Mueller report, names, dates, addresses, everything, if they wanted that out there, they could simply vote to make it happen because they're the legislative branch. 
man, is that crazy that we have to even go through all of that. But that's the truth. That, that is the truth. That's what's happening right now. Uh, let's go to the phones. Ernest in Michigan. Hey, thanks for calling the show. Hey, thank you, Stacy. I'd just like to make this quick. God bless you for your voice. Uh, first of all, I'd like to make the comment about the woman who claims that life is not a life. God mm-hmm. knew Jeremiah before you placed in his mother's womb. Second of all, you're right about the mudslinging. You know, when, when Barack won his second term, and, and, and I think he allowed the states to decide upon same-sex marriage, he was evolving. And then you had the audacity to light up the White House and the LBG colors, making a mockery of God. Let me just say this. For all the women and all the men who have caused women to have abortion because they were cowards, uh, God forgives the shedding of innocent blood if you repent. But for, mm-hmm. but, but for the unrepented, there is the second death, which is the lake of fire. And I hope everybody has listened to this. If you have had an abortion, repent. God forgives the shedding of innocent blood. It's not the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, you're so on. I thank God for your voice. You are a true soldier. Keep up the good work. Oh, thank you, Ernest. I appreciate that. And thank you for clarifying that because it can never be said too many times because the nature of radio is that you may be here for seven minutes. You may be here for 22 minutes. You may be here for the whole show. Plus, you know, you're listening all day to AFR. You're dipping in and out. Um, you may be first time listener. Fantastic. Welcome. We, we appreciate you. Um, but at, in all things, we need to make sure that no one ever listens to the program, whether it's here or anywhere else. If you're, if you're tuned in to Christian radio, you need to be aware that, like Ernest said, there is forgiveness for partaking in the sin of abortion. If you were the husband or the boyfriend, or if it was your daughter and you were like, you know, okay, go ahead and do it. We'll pay for it. Whatever your part was in it, you can repent and ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. But if you want to be on the other side, like this lady, the, the clip he's speaking of is in the first segment. We played a clip from a CNN contributor whose name I refuse to say. Uh, it says, when a woman gets pregnant, that is not a human being. Now, surely, you know, what we hope is that she's just deceived and blinded by the ideology she's chosen. That it's not a true, she knows in her heart of hearts that it's a baby and she's just denying that just so she can, you know, score political points. But whatever the case may be, the sin is there and it can be forgiven. Whether she's post-abortive herself, which I would, you know, I'd bet dollars to donuts she is, not because I want her to be, but because that is the the truth. The most rabid supporters of abortion are women who've had abortions themselves. And the most eloquent on abortion are often, you know, speaking out against it for the pro-life side are often women who've had abortion. So, you know, this this is a battle that's being waged, not just where we can see it. It's the battle in the heavenlies over the issue of whether or not we'll sacrifice human lives on the altar of sexual immorality. And so what Ernest said is so true. You know, so you, you just don't want to be unrepentant when you make that trip, that last final trip. And it's a quick trip. And I love the way people try to act like, well, they died two days ago, and so I'm still praying for their soul. They've already, they've already gotten, look, this is, you know, God, God's not mocked. He's not uh, sitting up trying to schedule trains for, to get people from here to the afterlife. He's God. It's an instant journey. You're getting there, and you're meeting him face to face. And at that point, she will not be arguing and wagging her finger. She will not be saying that's just a woman's appendage. Mm-mm. She may say whatever she wants in her heart. and She can deny it and shake her fist until the very end. And maybe she will. I pray she won't. But you can be forgiven for the sin of abortion. You can be forgiven for any. It, it just ask for forgiveness. And 
receive it and turn away from the sin and move on. Um, that's the message right there. If you don't get anything else out of today. And I think Ethan Blevins was a fantastic guest. And I think the show has been pretty good so far, but take that with you that if you're going to take anything, take that with you. Uh, let's go to Lee in Texas. Hey, Lee, thanks for calling the show today. Oh, I can't hear Lee. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Lee, welcome yes, to the show. I'm here. Hey, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Um, this is the first time I've listened to the show, and I, I don't even know what your name is. Oh, I'm Stacy, Stacy Washington. This is the Stacy on the Right Show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. My pleasure, Stacy. I'm Lee. I live in Del Rio, Texas. Ah, nice um, to meet you. My home is a mile from Mexico. Oh, uh, wow. Born and raised here. I was in the ranching business. I had ranches on the Rio Grande River. Uh, and, of course, when I tell you this, if people are listening from Del Rio, going to know who I am because I was an elected official here. Um, and I, I, the, the, I've heard just a little bit about what you're talking about. My comment about uh, Attorney General Barr is all this that's going on is to protect Obama and Hillary Clinton from going to jail. Uh, I think it's all a smokescreen. Uh, uh, to, to divert everybody's attention to, to to keep people trying to protect Trump rather than going after the the bad people, and and that's my opinion on that. Mm. Uh, your and, and you're dead on. You're you know, correct. I, and, I agree with you. I, I think people got to be tough, and I think they are. Um, the minute President Trump came down though that escalator, I thought he was just going to be another. Most pro rich man with an ego. Uh, when he talked, when he started talking about Mexico and my experiences with it, uh, he could, he changed my. I knew who I was going to vote for right there. Um, I have been appointed. I was appointed by President Bush to the EPA committee back in the early nineties. It was called the Border Public Plan, and so my ties go with the. Go, I was in politics for a long time here. Um, your, your thing about abortion, uh, I, I think uh, it's a woman's body, and if she chooses to do what it takes to make a baby, and she makes a baby, she has to be accountable for that child. Mm-hmm. And she don't get two bites at the apple. Um, Thank you. And, that's, <laughs> and I pray for people who are contemplating that. I pray for children who, who have gone through that and survived, thank God, and and. And I do believe that that Jesus uh, died on that cross and to save us, and that's what we do have salvation. But I don't think you can rely upon that. Mm, you just I come know. Up, I'm, I'm going to do an abortion, and Jesus is going to save me. I don't have to worry about it. Mm-mm. I think you've got some repentance to do. Yep, you're right. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling and and for sharing uh, about being close to the border there. And I have to say, I think a lot of people were in the same boat as you, where they, they saw the president and they're like, mm, I'm not sure here, you know, obviously better than Hillary, but, you know, expectations maybe not as high. But God has really used Donald Trump. And I know some people who are Democrats, uh, they hear me say that and they're like, well, you just, you just worship. I don't worship Donald Trump. You might as well get up off of that real quick because that is not me. But what I do say is, just like God has used so many other broken vessels to accomplish his will, even when people 
think they're outside of God's will. And they're like, I don't know what I should do. And I'm scared to pray. And so I'm gonna just look like David was when he was out there ransacking the different, uh, the, these were like little barbarian towns that the Israelites had not vanquished when they came into the promised land. And so he was out just raiding these places and he was doing it um, because, you know, he's a man of war and also he was in exile. And also, you know, he was like, these, these are not my people. So I'm, I'm going to subjugate them and me and my band of marauders, we're going to put them down. Even in doing that, he was accomplishing prophecy and doing God's will. So come on now, if he can, Trump can, anyone can. Uh, Ian in Texas. Hey, Ian, thanks for calling the show today. Ian, thank you for calling the show. Hi, Stacy. Hi. I just wanted to say I thank you for uh, giving giving us the news because I work the night shifts and I don't honestly have the time to get it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to thank you for that. I am also somewhat people consider a millennial, and I care very much about my government. So I thank you also. And I grew up with a teacher who very adamantly told us to go out and vote once we got the ability to. And I don't think very many teachers nowadays do this. I think that's a problem because most people don't feel like they need to vote, and we really need to, especially in the upcoming election with all this conspiracy theories of the Democrats or anything. Mm. You know, you're right. Um, And I I hope that people seriously take seriously their citizen duty to vote, the privilege to vote, and that they will do it, especially young people and millennials, if they'll be informed as you are, and then go out and do the voting. Um, It's important. And thank you for listening to the show and also for getting your news here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We we appreciate you. Um, You know what? I hear the music. God bless you from the heartland. You have one news now, news and information up next. I'm Stacey on the right.